The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus told his disciples this parable. A man going on a journey called in his servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one, he gave five talents. To another, two. To a third, one. To each according to his ability. Then he went away. Immediately, the one who received five talents went and traded with them and made another five. Likewise, the one who received two made another two. But the man who received one went off and dug a hole in the ground and buried his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came back and settled accounts with them. The one who had received five talents came forward bringing the additional five. He said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I have made five more. His master said to him, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Since you were faithful in small matters, I will give you great responsibilities. Come, share your master's joy. Then the one who had received two talents also came forward and said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I have made two more. His master said to him, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Since you were faithful in small matters, I will give you great responsibilities. Come, share your master's joy. Then the one who had received the one talent came forward and said, Master, I knew you were a demanding person, harvesting where you did not plant and gathering where you did not scatter. So out of fear, I went off and buried your talent in the ground. Here it is, back. His master said to him in reply, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I did not plant, and gather where I did not scatter, should you not then have put my money in the bank so that I could have got it back with interest on my return? Now then, take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will grow rich. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And throw this useless servant into the darkness outside, where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. This remarkable gospel reading that the church places before us today is at a point where Jesus is instructing his church on the final things. He is in Jerusalem. This is during the last week of his life. And he knows what is coming on that first Good Friday. 
and after that first Good Friday, when he will eventually ascend into heaven and leave his church behind on earth to continue his work. And to help his disciples understand what that is, he gives them this parable of the Lord, the man, going away on a journey, and he will be gone for quite a while. And in speaking this way, the Lord is also reminding us that after he ascends into heaven, he will physically be gone for quite a while. But he will be coming back. And in the meantime, there are those who are sent forward to serve in the Master's name. But in addition to placing this reading in front of us and the reading having this context, the church twins it with the other readings that we've heard today, and it's a curious twinning. That first reading from the book of Proverbs, which doesn't speak of anybody going away on a journey, and doesn't speak of servants, it speaks of the blessing that a good wife is. And one wonders at first glance, how do these readings relate to one another? In twinning these readings, the church is saying there's something in this first reading that's necessary to help us understand what is going on in the gospel. And the clue to all of this is the opening prayer for today's Mass. You all remember what we said, right? Because you said amen to it. Don't worry, I'm not going to put you on the spot. Our opening prayer for Mass asks for the grace of being constantly devoted to the Lord because it is a great source of joy to serve with constancy the author of all good. What an interesting expression. We ask for the gift of an increased devotedness because happiness is found in serving with constancy the one who is the author and source of all that is good. And when we hear those words, all of a sudden, the reason for that first reading becomes very clear. Because when we are truly devoted to one another, serving one another and caring for one another is not merely a burden. It is often a joy. Because it becomes the way we express that love we have for one another. And without that service, our devotion has no real way of manifesting itself. And so note how good it is to be devoted to the one who is the source of all good. And when my service is out of that spirit, not out of mere obligation, there's something life-giving, fulfilling, and joy-filled about it. What a remarkable thing that is. And so we see in the first reading this image of the good woman. The book of Proverbs is captivated by this question, actually, of finding the right woman. The first several chapters of the book are written of a, in the voice of a father advising his son, who is about to leave home, go into the world to make a life for himself. And an intrinsic part of making that life for himself is recognizing he's going to establish a household. And the key to establishing that household is not simply how talented he is, not simply how hard he works, but choosing the right one 
to whom he can give himself, into whose care he can trust his household. And so note how that parallels our gospel reading of the master trusting his wealth to his servants. And we see in our first reading the importance of trusting oneself into the hands of another. And we have this example then of the woman devoted to her home, devoted to her family, devoted to her husband, who joyfully maintains the house. And in that joy becomes a source of wealth and well-being for her family. What a remarkably beautiful image that is. What a remarkably important image that is. And the notion that the right one is not the most attractive one. The right one is not necessarily the most social one. The right one is not necessarily the most talented one. The right one is the one whose devotion is right. That one whose heart is good. And that one who knows what it is to live and serve out of the joy of a love that is real. And so she's industrious and she's active because she's devoted. Note that connection then. To be devoted to the one you serve makes one active in that service. That applies equally well to husbands. Um, But what a marvelous image that is. And it's also an echo of the fact that the Lord himself has found just such a woman, his bride, the church. And the call is that his church as well should be that devoted bride taking care of the household while he's away. A care for the household that extends to the care of the poor, a care of the household that extends to the care of the children, and to the maintaining of the blessings that have been given. And out of this, then, the Lord now speaks. A man has servants, and he is going away. He calls his servants to himself, and he trusts them with his wealth. So note how the story begins. This is an act of great trust. The servants are given tremendous wealth. A talent in the ancient language would be the the equivalent of several years of a very generous salary. So this is not nothing. This is not nothing. This is real wealth. And, And so the servants come, and the master knows his servants very well. He first is not going to trust them with this if he doesn't believe they're capable of managing it. And so note, in calling the servants to himself and in entrusting them with this wealth, he is saying something about them to them. He's saying, I do, in fact, trust you. I trust you significantly. I trust you substantially. Take this share of my wealth and use it in my service and I trust you to do well with it. Know what he's saying. You are capable. I believe that you can manage this. So this is not the Lord of the household imposing a burden. This is the Lord saying, it is time for you to step forward because I do trust you, and you can do this. 
but he also will not do this in a way that overwhelms his servants. And so we hear he gives different amounts of wealth to his different servants because they have different abilities. And so he's not going to give one a degree of trust that he simply can't manage. He would be overwhelmed and set up for failure. And so the one who is capable of more receives more because he can manage it. But every one of his servants is capable of something and capable of something great. And so note, this is not a matter of, oh, I only got one and the other guy got five. Because a single talent is the equivalent of several years of a generous salary. That is not an insignificant degree of trust. In fact, it is a very significant degree of trust. And what do we see? There is a difference in these servants. Two are devoted to their master, and one is afraid of the master. What an interesting difference. It's not that one is bad and two are good. It's that two, receiving the trust, recognizing for what it is, go out and apply themselves and put what they've been given to work on behalf of their master and in the name of their master. And the master is gone for a long time, and so they have plenty of time to manage all of this, plenty of time to learn how to do it, plenty of time to recover from any mistakes, and plenty of time to be truly successful. And two of them do just that. And why? Because they are active out of a sense of devotion to their master. He trusted me with this. I must take care of it for him. They don't receive it as a burden, but as a stimulus to movement, a stimulus to life. The third, on the other hand, received his gift and right away is of a very different kind. I'm afraid. I don't want to get it wrong. What happens if I make a mistake? What if I'm not Am I cutting out? That's what I thought. Okay. What if grab me the other mic? And so he makes the classic excuses that we do when we're insecure. And because he's afraid, he doesn't want to make a move. And so what he does, the only thing he does is he digs a hole and he buries it. And when you bury something, it can't be seen. It's hidden. It's not accessible. Note what he does. He takes his master's wealth out of circulation, and he hides it as if it doesn't exist. And because the master's away for a long time, it also means he ignores it for a very long time. He had plenty of opportunities to change his mind, to find his confidence, and dig it up. But he never does. In fact, at some point after burying it, he probably even forgot about it until the day the master returned. And all of a sudden, I better go dig it up 
and bring it forward. But again, in this simple tale that Jesus tells, note how much is there. And this idea of burying and hiding what has been given so that the world can't even see it and know that it's there. And so obviously there are different reactions when the servants come forward at the end. The master returns and everyone must give an accounting to what he has been given. And the first two come forward. You have given me a trust, and I have tried to be worthy of it. And so I worked it, and I put it to use, and it has increased. And the master is delighted. Note what he says to them. Not simply that I will even give you greater responsibilities because you've demonstrated how trustworthy you are, but then he says, come and share my joy. I invite you into my happiness. I invite you into my delight. I invite you into all that is pleasant to me. What a marvelous anticipation of heaven. Come and share your master's joy. The second one, likewise, come and share your master's joy. You were faithful to me in a small thing. This tremendous degree of wealth, the master says, is actually a small thing because I have greater things for you. If you can navigate the small things well, which are not valueless, but actually precious. And then the third one comes. I was afraid. And so I hid your talent, and I buried it. But I didn't lose it. Here it is, back. And the master is angry on multiple levels. He's angry on the one hand because it didn't even make the minimal profit of being put in a bank, but his anger is really over the fact that this one did not serve him at all. You didn't even try. The master would have been happier if he tried and lost it than not trying at all. Because what he really said then is, I don't value your trust. I don't respect what you've given me. I didn't even attempt to put it to use, and so the world didn't even know it was there. And as Jesus speaks of this one, and the condemnatory judgment that waits for this one. He's looking at his disciples, saying, I am trusting you with so much. I am trusting my church with so much. But I am trusting each one of you who believes in me, who shares my life through your baptism. I am trusting you with something to do for me, to put to use in the world for the good, for the gospel. And every one of us has been given that trust. And the question then the Lord poses to his disciples is, and which of the servants are you going to be? Because nobody is gifted beyond his or her ability to live it. Rather, everyone is gifted in a way that corresponds exactly to what he or she can do. But the trust is great, and the trust is real. And the only way that gift does good in the world is if the one who has received it actually puts it to use.
Unfortunately, what happens is life takes over sometimes, and we end up burying it and forgetting about it. This is one of the reasons we come together every Sunday for Mass, to remind ourselves of who we are and the greatness of the gift that we've been given, to meet the author of all good and to rouse our hearts, as we prayed for, to a greater devotion so that we understand that this is not a burden. This is a source of joy and a source of life, not just for ourselves, but for the world. And it's wonderful that we can reflect on these things right here. Because in just a few minutes, Jesus Christ is going to be here. And even though we are waiting for his second coming, he will be with us, in fact, today. And we're going to come forward and we're going to stretch out our hands. And note how wonderful this is. He's not going to place talents of silver in your hand today. He's going to place something even great, of even greater value himself into your hands. Note what he's saying. I am the master going away on a journey, but I am trusting the wealth of my life to you, to all of us together, and to each and every one of us in particular. I am trusting you with the wealth of my life. And at the end of Mass, what are we told to do? Go. That doesn't mean get out of here, we're done, I don't want to see you until next Sunday. What it means is go and take the talent, the treasure, the trust you've been given and put it to use out there. Because the only way the world receives that goodness is if we bring it. The only way the goodness increases is if we put it to work. But note how wonderful that is, to be faithful in the small things with a certain joyfulness is also to increase the joy and the energy of the heart so that our goodness can truly be active in the world, that the church can grow, the gospel can spread, but blessing also comes upon us. What a marvelous thing that is. And when the church remembers this, when the people of God remember this and try to practice it and live it, indeed, great things do become very, very possible. Amen.